Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Rocky to my Apollo. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Nathan! <laughs> Nathan! And our very own Polly. That's right. It's Eric Ronovec. Eric, how you doing, buddy? I Eric, I love your robot. <laughs> I thought there was a chance that I was going to be the robot. <laughs> that's what i thought i was gonna be i was like i'm gonna be the robot i know the it. greatest know love it. story ever told on film you know uh everyone has all these stories of meeting paulie in real life and this yeah, burt, burt young is like a legend yeah He's but like burt a... young all the burt young stories are i was at an italian restaurant <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he is a stereotype man he's not he joke, like it's just like you said they're going, the best part about him <laughs> He doesn't, and he like, and he shakes people's hands and says, thank you, thank you very much. But he's like in every, he was in an episode of Miami Vice, he was in an episode of Columbo, he was in Walker, Texas Ranger, like, yes. Burt Young was in like everything from the, from the 70s, so it's like kind of, kind of perfect. So, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get into this more later. Um, okay. He's like, he's like Lou Ferrino if you're doing, or, uh, not Lou Ferrino, uh, uh, the, the dude who was Lou in Lou Fregno. Not Lou, Lou Fregno. The dude who was in, uh. The guy with the Vinny, Snatch. Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones. The, the this is bull the worst. Tony. This is great television. Um, <laughs> bull uh, Tony. Anyway, Vinny Jones. He, he's a. <laughs> he, he's in like every cop show between like 1978 and like 2006. Like, there's just certain people that get typecast. All right. My son just ran in the room to tell me Arsenal scored. So thank you, Odin. I appreciate that. The important news. <laughs> It is important news. I, this is probably probably the uh, second most thing that important thing that's happening uh, in in this household. Okay, so let's start. We got we've it's it's been a while. Been a while. <laughs> there you go. I was setting for that. Yeah. Okay, so we we when we last when we last um, uh, talked, uh, we both we all predicted that like you know Pete was going to be back. It was an inevitability. Uh, we are dealing with tough times. Uh, it was things were you know how are things going to change? Are all the coordinators going to get fired? Anything like that. So Pete was we were podcasters. We let's, can't admit we were wrong. Uh, no, no, no. We let's, talked let's about start. potential things that could happen in the off season, nope. and we were all pretty sure Pete wasn't coming back. It seemed <laughs> it seemed inevitable. It seemed inevitable. Like he was not. Like he was not. We, did, we did take a vote, Eric. I told you to delete those recordings. <laughs> do you, we talked about like what do you want, and so I was like, I don't know. I'd like Pete to get fired, and then when he got fired, you know, I'd like Pete to go, and when he, you know, had to compete for his job and lost, I was I immediately was like, uh oh. Is the Discord going to yell at me? A finger <laughs> snap shut. It's Eric's fault. <laughs> but me, I like. I was like, I think he. I think it's the right time for him to go. But I just don't think that they're ever going to do it. Like I didn't think they'd have the the, the stones. So there's a backstory like here where like so that, that I that, I 100 I believe, believe this. this. Yeah. I believe this 100. It's thing. like cir- it's so, circulating. Explain kind of, this, which is that I don't so know. I, Pete I don't Carroll, know before the season started, had told the brass John. Uh, uh, Jody Mrs. Allen. Jody Allen. Sorry, I was gonna say I was kept thinking Jenny Allen, and I was like, that's not right. He told, yeah, he told Tater for accountability. <laughs> uh, he told them all that that he had he had a uh, decided this was the last season. This is it. This is my last season. After this, I'm gonna hang him up. And then when actually faced with the reality that he was going to be retiring, he decided to go into the meet, end of season meeting and try to compete for the job to try to come back for one more year. And they said, no, we've already kind of thought about like what our succession plan without you looks like. And we have decided that we would like to to move on to, to go to a, another uh, another go go with another coach, you know, go with the hiring. Um, so. I, and I totally buy that. That makes sense to me. The way that everything went down, the way that Pete doesn't seem like he wants to quit, the way that 
these these people, uh, the way that everyone around him kind of talks, I think that that is very realistic. Uh, so what? So that was your initial reaction, though. I was going to ask you, Kev, Eric, Kev, well, Eric, Kevin, what was your initial reaction to Pete getting fired? You thought everyone's going to be mad at me because I wanted this. <laughs> your- <laughs> yeah, well, I I I was like I was okay with it, and then like everyone in the Discord. Especially Brett <laughs> and people I work with were just like mortified and so sad. And I was like, oh, okay, well, have a good day. Just kind of <laughs> going. I wasn't sad until I think maybe the next day or even the day after. And I started to like really read all the tweets and see the highlights and be like, you know, I, I wasn't sad he's gone. It was time. But uh, when Russell Wilson, his last year on this team, we had the same conversation and it was, do you keep Russ? Do you keep Pete? And I just remember I said something like that. One of the older guys I used to work with told me, don't get sick of winning. And that meant like, if you get rid of Pete Carroll, and this is back when we had Russell Wilson, if you get rid of Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, there's a chance that you hit the cellar or you start missing the playoffs. And we were so we're so unhappy with making the playoffs every year and we want more. Remember, whereas, whereas Mariners fans can only dream of making, the I mean, it's, year. it'll be really nice. I I'm, I'm excited. I've been watching a lot of old Sonic basketball on YouTube and I'm excited for the Sonics to come back to Seattle. And I'm really hoping that someday major league baseball also comes back to Seattle. Um, <laughs> too bad. Nathan didn't hear that. Cause that was just for him. But no, oh, um, I just can't react to it. <laughs> no, um, it's it, but like, don't get sick of winning. And I think we made the right choice at that time getting rid of Russ. But man, with with Pete going now, I just I don't feel bad about it. I don't I, I mean, I don't feel like this is the wrong decision in any way. And and another thing with Mike McDonald's hiring, and I guess we could have probably, you know, taken this when we talk about him, but. Like, if you're ever going to take a risk as the Seattle Seahawks, if you're ever going to go for that reach coach, and the last time he did it was Pete Carroll, I think now's the perfect time. Yeah, I think kind of along with that, uh, another piece to take into consideration is, and this is part of what softens as well, I love Pete. I think Pete's a great coach. Uh, Pete's brought a lot of joy to my heart. Um, Pete's been very motivating. But the thing about it that came came up for me was, you know, you don't get this long with a head coach in the NFL. And in some ways that made it a little easier um, when the team moved on from him, because, you know, as much as I'm sitting there going like, you know, I'm really happy uh, that we had Pete and I'm going to miss him. And my, my line has always been, it's going to be difficult to find somebody that can step into those shoes that is a better coach than Pete because Pete does a also, lot of things really well. Also, he was like a fixture in our adult lives. Like all Dude, of us for basically years, all of our adulthood or close, you know, the majority of our adulthood, Pete Carroll we has college. been the, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Like he got hired by, yeah, so long ago. So yeah, my it's, entire marriage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you, you can, you can like mark it down. Like he's been a fixture in our lives the same way. Like when a player like LeBron James retires or, you know, you, you see those guys who've just been Ichiro when Ichiro leaves Seattle. Like these are fixtures in our lives and it sucks when they leave, even if it's like Eric said, the right time 
or in your saying right now, the, it's correct. It's the right time, but it just like sucks. It's just not fun. It does you make know? it easier when it's been this long. Like if you'd been fired after like 2017, it'd have been like, man, there's gas in that tank. Like, you know, that would have been, that would have been upsetting in this instance. Yeah. It's easier for me to take what I normally take as an approach to something that happens, which is, you know, that has happened. This is the reality that I am now in as a Seahawks fan. Uh, what's the best outcome of this new reality? So it was easy to kind of sit there and go, wrote, think about what I loved about Pete and watch kind of the uh, the tributes to Pete and everything and enjoy those and let those resonate while at the same time feeling comfortable with being excited about the concept of a head coaching search at all the things that changes for the offseason at everything that it's going to be. Great transition because I you said like the tributes to Pete the right? so what was your what's your guys's favorite uh, Pete Carroll memory let's go P- top Pete moments uh, Pete Sembert we kind of I'm gonna tell you guys Patreons I'm sorry we already did this in the in that like impromptu uh, Discord chat so you guys have maybe heard this already welcome but, like, to Pete Brewery um, Pete Brewery uh, all right Eric starts off favorite Pete moment um, honestly what created the gentleman Pete meme. Uh, oh, yeah. beating beating the 49ers in the rain walking all cocky on the sideline it felt like just beaming I, and beaming and chomping gum beaming and chomping gum but also like we had the swagger we had we had everything we needed to back up the swagger and it felt good as a seahawk fan the best i've ever felt um and also like when he was hired i was like yep i guess we'll see i don't really care i don't know about this usc guy and being yeah, he, he's already wrong. he's already failed out twice in the NFL, yes. right? And I, I love being wrong about things because I don't I've told you this, Nathan, I don't typically argue unless I unless I'm really like invested in it and I know I've done the research enough. And mm-hmm. so to be wrong about Pete Carroll being a you know bad hire, super happy to be wrong. Yeah, he was great. All right, Kevin, what's your favorite Pete? Pete uh, memory. Okay, so one of my all-time Pete moments actually takes place when he was USC head coach, um, and then I'll talk about the Seahawks one. Uh, so uh, after a blowout loss against Stanford, one of his last years at USC, um, he has a, a the midfield handshake with uh, Jim Harbaugh after Jim Harbaugh went for a two-point conversion when he was already up by like twenty points. And in the in the handshake, Pete's just like shaking his like, "What's your deal?" And it's like picked up on the mic. And I feel like that kind of summarizes Pete Carroll, where he's so competitive, but at the same time, like there's almost this like childish joy and glee for the game. It's everyone talks about even in his 70s when you meet him at first, you're like, oh, grandpa. And then he starts talking and you're like, this dude is like in that Zac Efron movie where there's a 14 year old who's in grandpa's body because as soon as it gets to like a football moment or anything, there's just youthful energy abound. And I, the youthful energy moment that I think of, it's every time he was talking to a draft pick. Uh, So it's tarps off the handshake with uh, uh, DK Metcalf when he matches him shirts off or shirts off, because I feel like that epitomizes that like energy that he always had whenever he was around someone uh, he matched their energy or he brought their energy up and you can see in those moments how he became like such a great motivational coach. Uh, I always love the, can you win the game in the first quarter rant that he did all the time? <laughs> like, just, I don't know the, the P isms are the so best funny. And the worst. 
but it's like so stupid. Like you can absolutely win the game in the first quarter. It happens all the time. <laughs> Not if you're the Detroit Lions, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but or the but, uh, Seahawks many times. But but, but yeah. yes, you can. But it's just a, I love the little the little P isms, his his little things, and I think like he yeah he's truly like a like a an inspiring leader and like like a great dude. tell the truth all great dude. He but my favorite thing about Pete though overall is that there's this idea when he came into the league that like the good coaches were jerks, all good coaches. And you had to be a jerk. You had to make this environment of like, you know, being kind of serious and tough and kind of an a-hole. And Pete like put all that to bed. You can absolutely not, you can absolutely have fun and like do cool and like do weird stuff, like have free throw shooting competitions. The Pete and, passing uh, video from the off season. <laughs> and like, just be, just, just bring in all these bizarre people like magicians and, and, uh, you know, Snoop brings Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell to practice, and you know, eleven <laughs> truthers. Yeah, you. Yeah, my one of my favorite Pete things is when sorry, he, he met he met things. the he met the general or whatever for the for the Pentagon, and he was just grilling him about nine eleven. It's like oh, Pete, you're so weird. Okay, but he but he um you know he 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 proved a point, which is that you do not you do not you can build a winning culture, you can build a good culture without being a jerk, without being an a hole, and I think that's like really important, and like. I think a lot of people think like to build a, to build like a strong environment, a big, good environment, you got to be tough. You got to be mean. And I don't think you do. And I think um, my life, the way I live my life reflects that and the way that uh, Pete Carroll lived his life. Um, okay. Let's, let's get into the hiring process. So now Pete's fired. Uh, the hiring process starts. So we start off, we interview a bunch of dudes. Uh, Giro Vero, we interview the defensive coordinator for the Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator for the Raiders. We interview Mike Kafka. We interview Raheem Morris. We interview the cast of Broadnet, these... uh, former yeah. head coaches, former OCs, uh, 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 OCs and DCs. Like they, they really and did cast a very broad net. Then we kind of do. We do these phone interviews with uh, with the guys who are still in the playoffs. So Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald, um, all these Dan guys. Quinn. So the the Dan Dan Quinn, yes. Uh, and I think, like at first, there's a perception the Seahawks are going to hire Dan Quinn. He's the continuity hire. Uh, he's he's coming. Uh, which, by the way, just to, to spoil it, this is an all-time bullet dodged that we did not sign Dan Quinn because they are bringing the horizontal raid to Washington with offensive coordinator Cliff Kingsbury. I hope that Terry McLaurin likes running five yard outs because man, he is going to run a lot of them in the horizontal raid that it's just so bad. I don't know what they're doing. The thing with Dan Campbell is that I feel like he's the safe hire. And Dan Quinn, Dan, Dan Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, with Dan Quinn is he's the safe. Your hire knee and are now not safe. I know everyone is everyone wants that because that's the name they know. And as I said earlier, like if you're going to go for any kind of reach, any, any sort of risk, I think, you know, Dan Quinn, if you're going to go from the, if you're going to go to the oldest head coach in football to the youngest head coach in football, they call that foreshadowing guys. So now bet, uh, it ends up kind of like the Seahawks because the other teams don't have the infrastructure in place like we do. I think we have strong infrastructure. Like we are trying to keep the culture. We have John Schneider and our scouting teams in place where those are not changing. So we don't have to hire quickly to make sure we're getting ready for the draft. We're getting ready for the draft anyway. Where people are getting ready for the draft right now, just like me and Kevin are. They're watching the tape. They're they're look they're looking at guys. That's already happening. We don't need to hire a coach to get ready. It puts us in a unique position where we can wait. 
we can wait for the best coaches. And it kind of emerges. There's two guys, Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, and Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Ravens, that are like the, they're the it candidates. These are the guys that everyone's saying, these are the good ones. These are the guys who are going to be the next big thing. Um, not, now, I want to temper everyone's expectations. Like, I love the Mike McDonald hire, but but everyone said these same things about Brandon Staley. So, like, before you, like, go crazy and be like, oh, yeah, Mike McDonald is perfect. Everyone wanted him. Yes, everyone wanted Brandon Staley, too, though. Like Being Brandon a perfect Staley- candidate and being a perfect head coach are not the same qualifications. Right. Luckily, we have strong infrastructure where if it doesn't work out, I think it will be fine. And honestly, I have a, I'm I think Mike McDonald's like a nine out of ten or even a ten out of ten higher. I'm very bullish on it, but don't if it fails, don't it? It's happened before where the it candidate does not do good do process well. often yields good results, but doesn't guarantee good results. This was good yeah. process, and the hire is a very well justifiable hire. So they end up – Ben Johnson, while while the commanders are flying in for the second interview, decides he doesn't want the Seahawks job. I don't think he was ever interested in the commander's job. <laughs> he decides he doesn't want the Seahawks job or at least they're not going to be able to meet in the middle on money, which seems like the rumor. It, what yeah, the rumor apparently is. he wanted to be like the fourth highest paid head coach off the bat, which that's um, – I mean – I, I had not we, heard that and that's like – And we made okay. Mike McDonald the <laughs> highest paid first-time coach ever. So I cannot imagine that if we were in serious negotiations with Ben Johnson, that that was not on the table for him to be the highest paid first time coach of all time. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine why. Yeah. If, if that's not what he wants, then if he wants, it makes me feel like he's waiting. I, I get the impression that uh, Ben Johnson pulled his name from head coaching after we said we were hiring Mike McDonald. Like, yeah. It might've gone the other way. It might've said lines like, that way a little bit. Yeah. Cause he definitely didn't want to, to, to go and go for the commanders nope. and then the commanders the commanders <laughs> got, got got shut out by mcdonald he which is because he's because mcdonald is from the east coast his wife was the was a cheerleader for the washington commanders which actually might have hurt them because you know uh, Daniel oh, no kidding. And, <laughs> and then Ooh. and then Yikes. so we we he wanted to be here he wanted to be here we sold him on the culture six-year deal we signed mike mcdonald let's talk about mike mcdonald uh, eric i'm gonna go to you first what do you yeah. what excites you about the mike mcdonald hire and do you have any uh do you have any maybe like uh, pump the brakes things or is it all is it all systems go? Oh, it's all systems go for me. This is the guy I wanted from the beginning. I wanted a young coach. I wanted someone who was unproven. Like look at Sean McVay. Look at Shanahan in San Francisco. I I don't know what to think about the Cardinals and I don't care. I will never care about the Cardinals. But it, like it matches the division. The higher matches the divisional coaches. I want the defensive-minded coach because here's the here's the funny thing my coworker pointed out to me. He was like, you know, if you if you hire an offensive guy, you're gonna have your offense locked up for years. If you hire a defensive guy, you're gonna have your defense locked up for years. And I was like, ah, you can have good coordinators. He's like, yeah, but whenever you have a good coordinator, they're hired away. Look at, you know, look at the the tape going back years. And I was like, oh, I guess you're right. So he's like. If you have this defensive guy that you want, and in this case it was Mike McDonald, he's like, you know, there's a chance your offense is going to be good. But if it's great, that next year you're looking at a new coordinator. Yep, that's that is what the the popular thing is. Is that like yes. Johnson was maybe the pre- preferred hire, even if they liked Mike McDonald better as a leader, and he has apparently has management training, and he's like they like him better like that. It's scary to hire a defensive coach because if your offense rules, you're losing your OC to yes. the next head coaching opening. And so I agree. Another thing, too, is first-time coaches. A lot of people get hyped up on these first-time coaches because they do, they've do done pretty well and they're winning, but they don't win the Super Bowl. 
like of the last like 14 Super Bowls, only two have been won by first time co- coaches. I th- uh, every other thing like Andy Reid, uh, the fucking Bruce Arians, uh, Bill Belichick, Gary Kubiak, Pete Carroll. These were the guys who have won Super Bowls in the last 10 years and they they all were retreads. So it is a it's a leap of faith to hire a first time coach because um, there's winning and then there's winning at all. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, 100%. Yeah, there's winning and winning all. And like <laughs> Shanahan has shown he can win. Kyle Shanahan can win, but he has not shown he can win the Super Bowl. And he's going to have another chance this Sunday. But I think there's a good chance he gets out coached again in the Super Bowl by Andy Reid. And then we're looking at this, the same thing. Like we're saying, you know, he's a good coach, but he, can he win the big one? Can they yeah. can they get over the hump? Um, especially when they're going to have to pay the but, uh, last pick in the draft $40 million a year. <laughs> but also like with McDonald, it brings a defensive-minded coach, which – I don't know. Ever since, ever since Pete came in with Legion of Boom, <clears throat> it kind of made me realize like Seahawk great years always had this defense that was something else. Like going back to the '90s, you had Cortez Kennedy and Sam Adams for a little bit, Eugene Robinson. Before that, you had Kenny Easley, and you had all the great pass rushers back then that were just. I don't know. I feel like that's Seahawk football, and that's why I wanted a defensive guy. So. I'm going to sell you on the Mike McDonald defense here. I'm going to do that then. Cause that's the, that's yeah. the thing that excites me the most about Mike McDonald is, uh, is the defense that he's bringing with him. A lot of people say like when you hire the offensive coordinator to be your head coach, it's like buying the IP to Marvel, right? You're, you're, you're buying the offense. You're not really buying him as a, as a head coach. You're buying the offense cause the offense is good. Mike McDonald is the defensive version of that right now. He runs a really complex front seven scheme that, um, does very different things than most teams, but requires you to have uh, premier athletes, especially in the slot corner position. And I think that this might be part of the reason he took this job was because in Baltimore, Kyle, Kyle Hamilton is very important to the way they run their defense. It doesn't work without him. He is like him the Roquan Smith are the linchpins. Roquan mm-hmm. Smith isn't very important as well, but I would say Hamilton is even more important because he can do everything. Um, from a weird position and a body size. We have a guy that can do that. Uh, Witherspoon is one of one. He can do the, the the star position in this defense. And I think you can find the linebacker. You're not going to find Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith's the best middle linebacker in the league. <laughs> but, you're, but you can find a middle linebacker who can, who can get there. And so um, what's interesting about McDonald is it's the exact opposite of Pete Carroll. So Pete Carroll defense, line them up, four in the front, we're coming after you, and we're going to beat you because we're better than you. Mike McDonald is like seven guys in the box. You have no idea which ones are rushing. They're all doing stunts and movement, and the, we're going to try to confuse the quarterback by coming from a weird angle. We're going to get 14 sacks from Justin Matabuke, who is like a marginal athlete, because because he because he he we can get him free by pinning him in with Kyle Hamilton on pinning the tackle with Kyle Hamilton on a blitz and running him out on a stunt. Like it's just crazy stuff. That yeah, the terminology for it's called a simulated pressure. Um yeah. which uh basically the the concept is we're going like Nathan said, we're gonna present you with a jailbreak blitz and then you don't know which four of them are coming. Like yeah. the, the Ravens have one of the lowest blitz percentages in the league and one of the highest pressure rates. And those simulated pressures are the biggest reason because they were like, wherever you have less guys to block, that's where we're sending the extra rusher. Yeah. And also this is just what like, we wanted for years. Like this is what yeah. we were hoping we could do. They, they create confusion in the, in the, in the, along the line um, where guys are just coming unblocked or guys are just 
guys are matched up really weird because that now if you hated Al Woods dropping into coverage, you are going to be disappointed <laughs> because this is something that's going to happen in this defense. This defense, the nose is going to drop back and cover the flat, drop out and cover the flats. Like it's going to happen. Um, it does require good athletes in the front seven. Um, luckily, that might be like the only thing that our front seven actually has. That is, we don't have prototypical size, but we have great athletes. <laughs> in that front seven. So I think that it actually is a good fit, which is once again, why I think maybe he took the job because he has Draymond Jones can be Justin Matabuike in this, in this defense. Uh, Spoon can be Kyle Hamilton. If they re-sign Brooks, I think he can be like most of Roquan Smith. Like they I can, think our edges are really good fits for uh, they can, what they like to do as well. Yeah, exactly. They can just set this up. Like just with the guys that we have already, they don't need to go make a bunch of crazy moves. Um, they can just, they need good, you need good safeties for this to work. I think that puts a, a number on uh, Diggs and Adams where I, one or both of those guys are probably gone or gone, gone. <laughs> so like gone, gone being like, they're gone after this year, gone, gone being they're gone immediately. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think that the Donald hiring is really exciting because the defense, the defense is going to be really interesting and elite. All right, Kevin. Um, your McDonald McDonald thoughts before we head over to the other staff hires that have already happened. Uh, yeah, I think uh, like the big thing, he has a big reputation as a teacher of the game, which I think is a great thing coming off of Pete, who has a similar reputation with defensive backs. Um, when you talk to and every, people and every hire he's made already is, is, is added on to that too. Yeah, right? exactly. That's, um, retaining, uh, Carl Scott, I think, uh, speaks to that. Uh, Leslie Marlon Frazier. Yep, Leslie Frazier, Marlon Humphrey, a, who was a defensive guy. back under uh, Nick Saban, and then went to Baltimore. Um, talked about, uh, and so like uh, Humphrey has like a doctorate in man match um, coverage uh, for a cornerback, and that's that's that Bill Belichick system where you basically are going, hey, uh, you know what you like doing? Yeah, we don't like you doing that, and you just don't get to this game. And uh, several players talk about how uh, Mike McDonald is um, is one of the best in the game at teaching that system and making it understandable, um, really making it so that everyone on the defense understands everyone else's job. So you understand the why of your coverage responsibilities. Um, players like Kyle Hamilton talk about how that helps them understand the uh, angles they're supposed to take because of the passing windows that they specifically are trying to cut off. Because the simulated pressures narrow down the amount of time that the uh, that the quarterback has to make the read. And so what you're really trying to do is, hey, your job isn't to like cover this guy from everything. Your job is to take a- away this type of hot read. Your job is to carry them up the seam until this point where the other guy takes him. And so uh, it requires a certain cerebral level of play, but it's it's a very modern defense that uh that is the type that's really giving people fits right now to kind of speak to what nathan was saying like it's not just the pressures it's also the coverage schemes and the way that those interplay with each other that's how i was able to take a wink martindale defense that was well regarded but finishing in the bottom five of the nfl into a top 10 and then top five defense people just talk about the sacks but the sacks is not not why this defense is good the sacks the sacks are like a product of something different and um, it's like, you know, you just look, there's, they'll have six guys blocking and, and there's only four guys rushing, but like three guys are blocking one guy because they because the way that they, the way that they blocked the, yeah, like three guys are like going after this one guy. It's like, Hey, there was supposed to be another defender here and there's not, 
because because what happens is the quarterback slides the protection right you slot yeah. the protection based on what you see and if what you see and then what you get are completely different uh then that's a problem and that's what that's what mcdonald is really good at doing yeah what he does is he studies your protection plan and like basically hey if you're pressured this way this is what your center's supposed to do and so he directly attacks your contingency plan oh we're gonna shade a linebacker here because according to the rules of your offense that means your center has to do this then we're going to pull that linebacker out or that defensive tackle out they're going to drop into uh what's called a wrap hole zone, which is where you Ooh. basically just sit exactly where the quarterback is going to have to put the ball on the hot route and put your hands up in the air and make it annoying. Because on a quick read, the quarterback can't tell if the linebacker dropped or if the defensive tackle dropped. And so uh, they have to pull it down because they don't know if they're going to bury the ball like Jimmy G in a linebacker's chest. And people want to give McDonald all the credit for this. Like he came up with it himself. He did not. This is a continuation of what Baltimore has done for the last, I don't know, 12, 15 years. He has just continued to evolve it. And that that's what's great about this is like we've seen for a long time Baltimore has been able to put together these good defenses by having like this program and system all together. And he is just the next kind of evolution along that path. Uh, which is good because we want to be uh, we want a defense that's on that same same path we, we yeah. want, that can that evolves and changes with the times that has really strong uh, a base like that so yeah it's it's pretty pretty awesome uh, okay I'm gonna talk I'm gonna go to you, you Kevin uh, Leslie Frazier why is Leslie Frazier like the perfect hire for for like first hire as associate head coach slash defense do you think it's gonna be DBs or defensive quality control uh, I would guess it's defensive quality control because I think Carl Scott's going to get uh, the one of them. Label. One of them is one of them is DQC and one of them is DBs. Also, I don't know it feels that. like it feels like <laughs> Leslie Frazier. The DQC feels like a higher position, and that's why. Then, I think Leslie if it's D- if it ends up being DQC's considered the higher position, I think that'll be what Scott gets because Scott's really? trying to go up, and Leslie Frazier's just like. I love coaching like he's already he's already hit the head coach market and he's not probably going to get another head coaching job. So he's just found his knack as being like a really trusted defensive mind. And like this guy who uh, he was the Vikings head coach. He's really well regarded in coaching circles. He's worked with Mike McDonald before. Um, he is he is the reason Buffalo Bills defense and secondary is so good right now. Yeah, especially their secondary. It's always good. And it's because of Leslie Frazier. Uh, that's the thing with Leslie Frazier is all those things that a first time head coach is going to struggle with, uh, you know, some of the game management stuff, but also just like how to effectively run entire practices, uh, things like that. That's where Leslie Frazier could really help out. That also speaks to, uh, Pete's role is non-existent now, Yes, but he is that's not fine. Part of the team. Leslie, Leslie Frazier too. Another thing I like about it is like Mike McDonald talks about him. He's like, this is my mentor. When he and got everyone, hired, Dave, like, this is Tater. <laughs> yeah, this is his Tater. Like you need like a guy on the, on staff who is above you. Even if you're the head coach, a guy who's going to call you on your stuff. If you're making mistakes, you're messing up. He's going to call you after this. I think Pete didn't have that for a while. He has not had that for a while. A guy 100%. who he really feels like he said about it was Tater. He named his son. As the he person said, who does that. He said it was Tater, but and, and you know what? Brennan Carroll has been an awesome OC for Arizona last year. I I'm not gonna slam Brennan Carroll. He was a good he's a good football coach. No, but you can't have he will be good for you that for you. Like yes, that's just not correct, true. Correct. Correct. Like that's just a uh, dishonest <laughs> that's just a dishonest stance. I, that yeah. is no shade so, at Brennan Carroll. 
And so for McDonald to bring in Leslie Frazier and be like, hey, this guy's going to stand over me and like make sure I'm doing things the right way and make, like that I'm going to bring my mentor in to be that mentor still and really like push me is it shows a level of humility and openness to ideas that I think is going to serve him extremely well in the job. He is going to keep learning. He's going to keep involving. He's not going to he – does, he doesn't think, oh, I got hired so I made it. Um, the same way Sean McVay brought in Wade Phillips to kind of stand over him. He's doing the same thing here with Leslie Frazier. Yep. And eventually you, you might share Leslie Frazier. Leslie Frazier might leave because he's old. <laughs> he's super old. He's, he might retire. <laughs> so remember when we were talking about like possible coach <laughs> hires, uh, I guess a month or a month and a half ago, and I basically said like I would be fine with a super old man as an offensive coordinator, someone who's done it before. And that's why. I want that guy who's been around is gonna be like, Hey, you may want to think about this. Well this this happened back in when I was with the Houston. They Oilers. like he's great, right? But he doesn't suck. <laughs> great. Well, that's a great transition because, like, when the OC, so OC, when people are guessing OCs at first, everyone, Frank Reich. We should get Frank Reich. Frank Reich. I hate Frank Reich. I think he's not that good. I think he's a weirdo. I think like he's not a cult, not a good culture guy. Like Leslie Frazier is like a vibes world champ. Like Leslie Frazier's got great vibes. Mike McDonald, great vibes. Frank Reich. I feel like he has. I don't want to say anything that's going to make people mad. I, I think he has fellow youths. I, yes, I think he has creepy, like he's strumming an acoustic guitar in front of a bunch of little kids vibes. Uh, so, like, I don't know. He creeps me out. It gives me the gives me the ick. Frank Wright gives me the ick. Okay, let's just say that. Um, so everyone's like, oh, we gotta get Frank Wright. He's old. He's been a head coach. He's an OC. It'll be a perfect fit. And. We instead, well, what? Who are we interviewing for OC? We're interviewing Tanner Engstrom, the passing coordinator for the Lions. We're interviewing Mike Kafka and getting rejected by the Giants. They're holding him hostage, and then we're interviewing we're interviewing the guy who I think is gonna (laughs) is is ninety nine point nine percent likely to get the job, uh, which is Grind Grub, and so we're going after these guys. And why are we going after them? Not to not to get the guy who's the the old guy Frank Reich, we don't, or who might bring dissonant vibes like Frank Reich. We're gonna get the best offensive coordinator. Who cares if he gets a head coaching job? Uh, we're gonna go get the best OC, and we're gonna keep doing that. We're gonna keep getting the best offensive coordinator until we can't anymore. Um, another thing about Frank about Mike Kafka, I think a lot of people is like last year. People look at the Giants and they're like, last year their offense sucked. Yeah, I mean, their quarterback was Tommy DeVito and Tyrod Taylor. They had like a million injuries. I love Tommy DeVito, but like it's not, it's not, (laughs) he's not the answer at QB. And, and not only that, but they were jerking around play calling. Like some games Kafka calls, some games this guy calls, some games this guy calls. Yeah, they were like messing around. It's more of an indictment on Dable than anyone else. Yeah, Brian Dable was like a disaster last year. And then, I mean, the year before that, the Giants made the playoffs and won a playoff game mostly because of his ball control offense he built around stupid Daniel Jones. Like, he built a winning offense around Daniel Jones. That is nearly an impossibility. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I would be into Kafka if they would release him from, from uh, Guantanamo, but they're not going to. Well, so, and the so. other names we got linked to were uh, Liam Cohen, who was the offensive coordinator for the University of Kentucky after spending time with the Rams. And Frank Smith, who's the Dolphins' offensive coordinator, who it was speculated might be looking to get play calling duties away from, right. uh, which you, you can you can all get, of those you can names get the- are really good names to have attached to you. That speaks to someone being well liked and well considered among coaching communities. Which is crazy too, because I thought the one of the challenges might be him building a staff because the Harbaugh's, yeah. Uh, but then of course Harbaugh's own son Jay is going to come. 
be our uh, special teams coordinator, it sounds like. So apparently Mike McDonald is better than his dad or uncle. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I guess that's, that's, that's all I can say. a viable statement. We could, we could just, like, that's I just, just facts. Statement. I mean, that's just, just a, you can argue I mean, with that. That's science. And Jay Harbaugh is apparently, like, a really good coach. Like, everyone yeah. is like, this is one of the up-and-comers. He's only 32, his I think. His last name's Harbaugh. But, I mean, people – People rant and rave about him, and he, he was special teams for Michigan last year, but he's also done running backs and tight ends, so people aren't sure what position he'll fill for us, and he hasn't officially been hired yet, but it's like wink, wink. Kind of the same way Ryan Grubb is. It feels like Ryan Grubb is the guy. They just aren't announcing it yet because they're, they're spreading it out. Like They want to have joy every day. Uh, so he has quarterback, running back, offensive line, and offensive coordinator experience. He's been the play caller at Fresno State and University of Washington. Um, everyone talks about being DeBoer's offense, and I think to an extent it is. It, but Ryan Grubb has been the play caller for that offense for the last four or five seasons. And the same uh, way, the same way McDonald. It's not the McDonald defense; it's the Ravens defense. But he has like evolved it and made it uh, yeah. put his own stamp on it. Grubb has done the same thing with the DeBoer offense. Exactly. He he still has he has a lot of motion. Um, he has uh, he utilizes the run game in a really interesting way that a lot of shotgun uh, offensive coordinators um, aren't right now. Uh, like he. Uh, they the do a lot of pistol, they do a lot of pistol, Eagles, pistol runs too. Exactly, which is important because that allows you to run power and that allows your quick game to function very differently. Um, the over-reliance on shotgun is the reason why the Eagles offense flamed out in the back half of the year. Um, over-reliance on shotgun has been an issue for the Seahawks that uh, has led to a an uncreative run game at times. Um, I think that uh, the style of offense that Ryan Grubb calls is less likely to do that. I think in general... Uh, so the names linked to this offensive coordinator job are really promising. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Ryan Grubb offense because I've been doing a lot of research on it because um, I'm assuming it's going to be the higher. And if it is the higher, I'll buy the actual playbook because it's out there. <laughs> so so I'll buy the playbook and I'll read it. But the, the thing for me that I notice a lot is, number one, athletic offensive linemen moving in space. I would not be surprised if we took offensive linemen heavy in this draft because of the way that we ask that he asks offensive linemen to really get out and move a uh, pull. It's not gap scheme necessarily. Sometimes it is power, but it, but guys are still pulling and moving all over the place. Uh, and that is something that's really important to, I think running his offense successfully. It's kind so, of like Mike McDonald on offense. We, they have like, it's, it's like simulated block pressures mm-hmm. where the movement makes it so that suddenly a defensive player is and engaged that- with air. And the running back, the running back can get used their leverage their speed and mm-hmm. get into space, which is very good when you have a guy like Kenneth Walker three. So, so yeah. yeah, the Grub offense is interesting. He runs a lot of shotgun, so it'll be interesting to see like what percent if that percentage. It's not like they never were under and center, but almost all their under under center snaps are uh, are run plays, like big big heavy runs. Uh, the and then the shotgun stuff uh, is almost all eleven personnel. So I would yep. expect to see tons of uh, three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back, uh, not a lot of fullbacks, not a lot of two tight end stuff, which means that um, unless a guy like Brock Bowers falls to us at, at 16, they're probably not seeing us uh, take a tight end in this particular draft. Uh, we'll probably just try to get by with whatever we can scrape up in free agency because uh, that guy's not going to be on the field a ton. That's And that's fine because we have three really great wide receivers. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not, against, I'm not against it. If we're running 11 personnel with Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think you're okay with pulling whatever tight end you can off the scrap. Yep. Just, even just rolling Parkinson out there a whole bunch. Um, 
yeah, so that's it. That's exciting. I think the Grub offense is really cool. Uh, I'm like excited about Grubs. All, all right, Eric. As we head into the, this, is my last thing here. Uh, as we head into the offseason, What's about Ivan Lewis. He's gone. Ding dong. The witch is dead. Everyone, yeah. congratulations, Shane Waldron getting that Bears job. Uh, Caleb Williams is 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 a one of one, and I'm excited to see how you do. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Caleb Williams next week, actually, because it'll be quarterbacks and wide receivers. Oh my gosh, <laughs> quarterbacks and wide receivers. Uh, starting off like kind of some little bit of draft stuff. Kevin, you watching? You watching Senior Bowl stuff? They have, uh, there's a lot more video than usual. I've been reading. I haven't had a chance to watch. That's what this this whole week's going to be. Uh, uh, really do- delving into Senior Bowl stuff. It's senior bowl stuff like always, like where like certain guys are like just just they're designed to go, to do good and stuff like this. But uh, but again, that checks the box. Do you know who stood out? Who stood out for me though? Is who's that? Like, is it like Toledo? Is it's like a small school cornerback? Yeah, uh, uh, Quinion Mitchell, uh, Toledo. Oh, that guy, that guy rules, dude. That guy is like so good. Shit talker supreme. <laughs> yes, they, they do this thing at the end of the senior bowl where they have all the guys like um, they have guys do call outs and he called out the best wide receiver on his team to do one on ones and they were like going at it and it was like oh this is so cool. <laughs> like, I don't know why it's stupid but it's cool. <laughs> but yeah, that that guy that guy does. Uh, I don't know if he played in the senior bowl. I didn't actually watch the game yet, but uh, he probably shouldn't have. His agent should have told him to make sure he doesn't get hurt. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> so. Eric, do you have different expectations for the offseason, though, considering we have a new coaching staff and everything like that? I think we all kind of expected a uh, more, con- uh, you know, some some level of continuity and like bringing guys back and stuff like that. Do we see more turnover than than you expected before? You think? Are so certain I guys was, in the chopping block? I thought that there should have been a lot of guys on the chopping chopping block before, and there's always the shadow of Pete hanging over the team. Like, okay, who's Pete bringing back? Who's Pete going to want to keep? Like, we kind of talked about Jamal Adams. You know, he just didn't work in this. My team. favorite Maybe Star Wars sequel, Shadow of Pete. Shadow of Pete. Um, Jamal Adams, like, I don't know. Maybe maybe Mike McDonald sees something in Jamal Adams that we can actually use. Um, I will say that my expectations have changed in the way that I'm. Oh, this is going to sound real bad. I'm trusting. <laughs> I'm trusting that the right decisions will be made. Because as we know, Pete always had last say. And I. I don't always. I, I haven't trusted there's, our our move. And there's all these rumors too of the the quarterbacks that John Schneider likes, and you're like, dang, he was he was like he likes all bangers. He's so well, good at scouting QBs, but Pete kind of talked him out of it because he loved Russ. The only, th- well, the only th- the 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 thing about the Russ story is like the only tension that I remember reading about them was when we drafted Russell Wilson because uh, Pete Pete didn't want to get him in the first or second round, and John wanted to trade up to get him. And John so, was like, this is the guy, get him. Yeah, and and I at one point when he said no, we're taking Bobby Wagner, like John like said something unflattering, like a cuss word or something, and then slammed the door. And then he <laughs> came back for the third round because he's like, We have to get Russ. I cannot. This is the guy. This is the guy. And so I don't know. I feel like I have more trust. Um, my expectations are um whatever happens, guys, we need a lot of work on this roster. Like maybe you're you'll take we'll take a look at it as we go through and say it's actually not as bad as you think in you know this majority of the team. But as I see it, like what do I always bitch about? Do not take a linebacker in the first round. Don't disappoint me like this. If it's the guy, it's the guy this year because we yeah. need so much help. 
that's the thing is I think there's like some top end talent around the roster, but there's really only like one position where I'd be like, dang, I can't believe they drafted that. And that's wide receiver. If they don't mm-hmm. get rid of Tyler, if, if we drafted another wide receiver and we didn't get rid of Tyler, I'd be like, huh? Depends but on like literally, one. literally every other position, maybe running back too. I'd be pretty sketched out by it, but, tight but end, every tight end also, not tight. I mean, if it's, if it's the right tight end, like we don't have, I mean, is this, this uh, is he done or is he he's like cut fodder, right? And then I think he's cut fodder because of the contract. And then and then Fant is gone. Parkinson yeah. is a is a restricted free agent, I think. So like the, these these guys are these guys are you know I don't know we're we're like we we do kind of need ten and I so I wouldn't be shocked. Tackle same thing like Lucas is in de- de- degenerative condition like we offensive like, line is is in guards, trouble than we yes. thought it was yes center center Lucas center multiple center maybe not I mean, Brown and Olu Olu, but like defense, defense, defense just needs everything. Like, I think there's no position where you could go wrong picking on our defense. Uh, that you know, maybe not a nickel cornerback specifically protect Spoon, <laughs> but, but everything, but <laughs> everything nickel can play outside corner, Spoon can play outside corner too. So, like, really, Spoon's got a job no matter what. The right, the right guy, yes. I guess if it was the perfect but guy, but the NFL isn't the type of league where you know you can just trade a guy for a bunch of draft picks, that doesn't, yeah. That doesn't happen in the sport, unfortunately. And so. the depth, and the depth is not. Uh, I think we're going to see a great lot anywhere. of back end roster churn. Yeah. yeah, I think we're going to see so, a lot of back end roster churn to try and get guys that are better system fits. And here's um, the thing: Heat, Mike McDonald turned guys like Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Clowney, who people just had on the scrap heap. They had no interest in them. They're they're not good. Those guys were very very important parts of the Baltimore Ravens defense this year. He can turn guys that other people think are washed or not good into those dudes uh, because of the scheme and the, he knows the scheme. He knows the fit. Like he's, I think Julian love also profiles very similar to Geno stone who thrived in that defense. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I think the off season. Yeah. I think there's gonna be a lot more roster churn than maybe we originally expected, especially on the back end. Um, I think there's a good chance Jamal and, and Quandre are both gone. Like Eric said, uh, no Pete loyalties to keep him around for some of these. Like he doesn't feel as beholden. Yeah. So also, I, those guys can, uh, you know, they can feel free to badmouth the Seahawks or, you know, not keep their feelings inside. That's the thing in football. Like people want to say, like, uh, you know, like they just go in a different direction. You know, they they just didn't want me over there. But if Pete were still here, it would there'd probably be a little betrayal. They don't have to worry about that now. Nope. And they are going to have to do something because they only have four million in cap room. If they want to reshape the roster, they're going to have to either restructure guys or move guys. So there is stuff that needs to happen before they can just, you know, they can't just they can't just show up and just start doing it. It is the one thing that maybe made the commander's job very appealing is they have the you know number two pick plus they have a ton of cap room. We are in the opposite situation. We're missing our second round pick and we have no cap room. On the other hand, we have actual good players and they have almost no good players. They have Terry McLaurin. That's it. That's the only one I could think. Our of. They, history. They traded Montez Sweat. So that was like their troublesome. other. That was like their other very good player. But they, he's gone now. He's on the Bears. He led. Do you know Montez Sweat led the Washington Commanders and Chicago Bears in sacks this year? <laughs> That's so good. That's so cool. That's like the, one of the coolest stats of all time. Too. That is like, really cool. It's like no one's ever. That's like hardly ever going to happen. So this is just. That's, awesome. that's some trivia for years down the road. Yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, this offseason will be really interesting. Let's get to the. Patreon. There's a million things we could talk about, but I, I think uh, this is a good point to um, to move it. All right, here we go. Thank you to those who support the show on Patreon. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Little is $1.24. Join the Discord. 
which even when we take a break like last time, we were still I was still in there all the time at least. Kevin. Yeah, we were Eric. still Eric, chatting. Eric, Eric, Eric even made some appearances. He was like missing I could tell you're missing the Seahawks, Eric. Oh, I lurk. I lurk. <laughs> so yeah. Don't have anything to say, but I lurk. Uh, thank you to those who support the show. Do it all for the Tucci, Emmanuel, Andy, Brett, Cooper, Evan, Flocktimus, Gavin, James, Jost, Joshua, Lucas, Malcolm, Ryan, Samuel, Terrence, Timothy, Tom, Warwolf, Astro, Blake, Bob, Carl, Casey, Cracksnacker420, Daniel, David, Feet Me, Onry, Foles, Jay, Luke, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Noah, Poops, Thomas, Brandon, Nick, and Chip. Um, and also, if you're just like flat broke and you just like, you know, like a dollar twenty-four a month is just like a stretch for you, or just you just hate putting thing recurring things on your credit card just message me on twitter i'll i'll shoot you an invite it's not it's not that exclusive i mean i just want i just uh you know i want to keep the i want to keep the riffraff out i don't want to just like post a link on the internet it's hashtag vibes (laughs) (laughs) just got to make sure you're you're vibing Uh, i gotta check your likes and make sure you aren't liking any weird stuff okay um so okay carl weathers unfortunately uh has left us hit me Um, harder than i wanted it to the so I thought let's let's talk about the a, a movie that that uh that kind of made made a it made a genre. I'm going to I'm going to say it. This movie spawned a genre of movies, uh the sports the sports film. I think before this like sports films there was a couple. I I actually looked. I did some research. Um but this was the movie that kind of built the formula. You know, the sports movie formula, and that's Rocky, of course. Uh, 1976, uh, Sylvester Stallone wrote and starred in the movie. Uh, it's it's simplistic storytelling at its absolute finest. It it like I said, it created a a whole a whole genre. Like you can say like, I hate boxing, I hate Stallone, <laughs> I hate sports films, but the way that this movie is presented is like tone perfect it's montage perfect. formula is literally the template for movies to this day <laughs> yeah um there one thing that i okay so let's eric starts off what do you what do you love about rocky like obviously apollo is the villain in rocky and such a good villain you know you you said like the you looked it up and this is like basically where the formula came from i never realized that and because my immediate thought of what do I love about Rocky? And it's like this underdog story um, with, I don't know. I love the backstory of Rocky Balboa. Uh, the whole commercial that he shoots where he has to smeal mainly. Um, it's it's a troubled character. It's a, it's a guy you kind of feel pity for. Um, so He's like a he, collector. He's a collector for a loan shark. Yes. Yeah. And when he doesn't win at the end, it's fitting. It's like a perfect ending. And of course, Rocky that's... 2 gives us that win, but that's what I love so much about Rocky is it's this, it's it's the story with a to be continued. That if it it's never not... had a sequel, it would have been okay. It's not about the win. No, no, it's, it was about because everything else is the win. It's yeah, not about it's... winning that match. It's about bringing bringing Rocky Balboa to life, not just Rocky Balboa the guy, Rocky Balboa the the soul and the boxer. That's that's mm-hmm. the win. When he won Adrian back, he won. Yes. He he found himself again. Like those are the important things yep. that happen in this movie. Not the not the oh he's gonna he's gonna and you know like Rocky and knocks him down. The best he Rocky knocked. Movie. It was the first. It was the first time Apollo Creed had ever been been knocked down. Um, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. This movie is so good. And the the boxing match, uh, the presentation of the of the fifteen round really uh, boxing match. Is super good. 
Oh, that's yeah, something you the could Rocky tell they movies were... nailed that a lot of other movies. That's something this movie elevated the level you need to show the sport happening. Um, that I think like a lot of movies still are trying to get to the boxing sequences in this movie feel like watching boxing in a lot of ways. They still use those techniques techniques when making like the Creed movies, and so mm-hmm. um, one thing they do is they they you know they they oil them up or like douse them in water, and then the camera crew is like tight on them, and it's like basically they just kind of roll with a punch and throw the punch. And they do this like seven times. And on the eighth time they say action and it's just a little harder. And it's though, you know, it's, it takes a lot of practice and pantomiming, but that's how they did Rocky. And those techniques are still used today. Cause it's like, how do you, how do you film a hit and make it look real? What's well, gotta be somewhat of a hit, but you can't do that take 80 times. So that's uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, these guys were absolutely digging digging in. Like they were they were digging in on the on the hits and like it's uh it's awesome. Like it's I like I said, like this movie changed if if you don't want to give it credit for like, you know, inventing the sports genre, that's that's fine. Maybe that maybe I'm going too far with that, but it 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 changed. Uh, it elevated. I think it to, undoubtedly elevated the sports genre. Where, if you look at sports movies before this, they didn't show the sport the same way. And the way that an underdog story was done wasn't this. This no created the underdog sports story genre functionally. You can say elevated. You can say change because it's true. Um, I like Kevin said it. It wasn't anything like that. All, all those, all those. And it wasn't a document. Are... It wasn't a documentary like The Great White Hope. You know, like where, where, like, <laughs> where, like, where, like, it's a, like a real thing that happened. Or like Brian's also... song, Pride of the Yankees. When you think about like the the big sports movies before Rocky, they were either based on a real thing, or they were more like they were more of a docudrama and less of a a real like. Less of less of a traditional fictional story. They also weren't. Sorry, those those movies you mentioned. They're they weren't all that sporty. Right, the sport wasn't the biggest part of it. Yeah, Yeah. like like I feel like Rocky and Slapshot are two movies that really pushed to like have the drama be the sport drama drama and comedy. Right, like like they but but the sport was like the important part. Now, okay. Couple things when Rocky says I can't go back to meatpacking or whatever, it's like very, very emotional uh, for me. For me, I, I kind of relate to that. Like it's how I felt when I like I was like I cannot work in an office anymore. Like I just I cannot go back. I cannot set foot in this office one more time. And when when the when the well, lady asked, called me and asked extent, me, right? Hey, you want to come back for another one year contract? I was just thinking in my head like I could never do that. No way. No way am I ever coming back to this. For other that, people, it's that, like when they moved back home and they're like, oh, God, you know, like I can never live in my parents' house again. I can, ne- you know, like yeah. everyone has that thing that they can relate to where it's like, this is my like rock bottom moment. I need to bounce now. And then the music, the, the music <laughs> yes. in this movie. All time banger. There's Jeez, just, Louise. it's so, so good. Uh, yeah, it's just, um, this is good stuff. This is a, this is an absolute banger. And I think like, uh, and to go back to Carl Weathers, this movie would not be the same if you cast a weaker villain. He is so believable, so viable. I love the way they show his uh, moments off camera where he's like sweating the need to prove himself. Like, 
uh, having to make sure that he has the right person that he gets matched up against and like worrying about his legacy as a boxer. And like, there are these real moments that allow him to resonate as, Oh, there's Apollo Creed, the brand, and he has to hold up that brand. But at the same time, there's Apollo Creed, the man, and there's spots where they overlap. And in the next couple of movies, it kind of, uh, plays that up more and in different ways. But nonetheless, the way this movie has those moments in it from the beginning where he's not just like this mindless villain, like Carl Weathers has to do some real acting in here. And the the way it makes Apollo Creed viable is why he has such staying power as a character. And there is there is like a seriousness to this movie that the other Rocky movies don't quite hit. Yep. Uh, And that's what makes this movie the best one better than like Rocky three, which is kind of uh goofy and, and fun, but like goofy and Rocky four, which is just like incredibly goofy, you know, incredibly propaganda, American propaganda. It runs up a mountain in Russia. It's like, it's just like so stupid. But that trading being chased by the KGB is like, is the most ridiculous thing. It's more, you know, you know why, you know why he Rocky, gets away from Rocky two, Adrian, Adrian in the coma. <laughs> Uh, he gets away from the KGB because uh, they can't run uphill in the snow. <laughs> That's right. They all have very little training. Yeah. They can't fire their guns right. It's just uh, too much. No, um, that goes back to like what Kevin the said. The K actually Carl stands Weathers, for though. Keystone Cops in KGB. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carl Weathers was a guy who played in the CFL and uh, the I think the Lions and the BC Lions. And then he played for the Las Vegas, the Las Vegas, <laughs> the, uh, the Oakland Raiders. And this is a, <laughs> but this is a guy who was an athlete who became an actor, and it wasn't like Jim Brown or anyone else. Like Carl, he was Weathers, a real actor. Carl Weathers became a great character actor. He did action movies. He did comedy. His twist on Arrested Development was one of the most unexpected, hilarious things I've ever seen. Do, do, you, uh, um, do you have you heard the Mitchell Horowitz story about that? I don't know. So he, he so he meets so. with he meets with Carl Weathers and he's like, "Hey, I really want you to be in Arrested Development." And then Carl Weathers like kind of interrupts him. He goes, "Yeah, okay, but as long as it's not a Rocky retread." And Mitch Horowitz is thinking in his head, "Oh my god, I was just gonna do like a Rocky retread." He goes, <laughs> "I I want my character to just be extremely cheap." And he, and and Mitch Horowitz <laughs> is like, "What you want?" To, and he's like, "Yeah, I just want my character to be like the cheapest guy there is." And he's like, "Okay," and it like turned out great. That's like Carl Weathers <laughs> wanted to do that. That was his idea. It was like That's not awesome. like it was not like a thing that uh, <laughs> that they can't. It was not the way the character was written. He was just going to kind of do like a like a Rocky thing with him. And he was and Carl Weathers was like, "No, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> we're doing this. We're doing this weird." <laughs> also, I've been to uh, like, I got to Happy meet Gilmore. His character was so like oh, he's that's so another funny. like amazing Chubbs. Yeah, Chubbs and Happy Gilmore. The fun like that's such a funny like way of him just employing his talents like when he holds up the yes. hand and it's all like glued together it's like one of my favorite moments in that whole movie he just holds it up it's all, it's all messed up and then you see it every every moment after that um i i got to briefly meet him at like a comic con and i will say that every time i've seen any sort of actor at a comic con i'm i'm not bsing you carl weathers was i think think the only one or the only one I can remember that felt like a movie star. So like Leonard Nimoy just felt like, like, Oh wow. There's that guy from star Trek, but Carl Weathers walking to his booth felt like, Holy shit. That's a movie star. Yeah. Well, he was in street justice, Eric. At Bucktown. <laughs> he was, 
He was in Hurricane <laughs> Smith. He was in, in, the, in the heat of the night. Force okay. 10 from Navarone. It's cr- kind of crazy, too. Like, Carl Weathers had all these long-term, like, uh, TV But also, he was in, um, like, Disney stuff. Like, he was in Toy Story 4 and, like, a yep. Star versus the Force of Evil and stuff like that. He, later in his career, he started doing some fun voice work that I, that actually is pretty good. And he's in, he was in, he's in Mandalorian, too, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, just just an all-around great actor. We were, we were lucky to have him. He was he was awesome. Very much. So, uh, all right. Any other Weathers thoughts before we get out of here? No, no, just that's the exact kind of career you like. You want to, I love those guys that just show up in things that because you're like, yeah, that's a great spot for Carl Weathers to be in. Like, sure, this made this better. Exactly. Makes it makes everything better. All right. For Eric, for Kevin, uh, we will see you all next week. Go hot.